0: All these youth, what they start doing is they start forming these ideas. I'm going to be that NBA player. I'm going to be that NFL player. And they set their sights on that goal, right? Why can't we do the same with skilled trades? Why can't we bring industry together? Why can't we bring these students together and say, we're going to have a skills draft?
2: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. With the first pick of the 1994 NBA draft, the Milwaukee Bucks select Glenn Robinson from Purdue University. There's a sound bite I vividly remember from my childhood growing up as a huge sports fan in Wisconsin. And although big dog Glenn Robinson could have been Jason Kidd or Grant Hill in that number one spot, He did all right for us. The NBA draft may have been second only to Christmas as the best day of the year as a kid. Me and my best friend Dan Carey would do mock drafts for days leading up to it, and we'd set up shop in one of our basements, and then we'd watch the whole thing play out start to finish. So, why am I telling you this? Because my guest today will pose the question for you why do we only do this in sports? As we educate and train the next generation of welders, machinists, and so on, Why not celebrate the launch of their careers, draw attention to their achievements and skills, and make a big deal about it for all these young workers, their parents, and the companies who frankly need them now more than ever. Let's call it the skills draft. In this episode, we're going to talk about educating the next generation of the manufacturing workforce and how to make the skilled trades more exciting to its future stars. So let's get into it. Dr. Jason Scales is the business manager, Education for Lincoln Electric. He's responsible for strategic planning and the management of his company's education team and product portfolio. Dr. Scales serves on a number of boards and has participated in numerous speaking engagements, panels, and bylined articles on the subject of the changing face of technical education and creating paths for addressing the current skills gap in manufacturing and construction. Before joining Lincoln Electric, Dr. Scales served on the staff at the University of Central Missouri as an associate professor of agriculture, following a career in agricultural education. He earned his doctor of philosophy in agricultural education at the University of Missouri. Jason, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks for having us, Joe.
2: You bet. Well, Jason, let's get right into it. If if I'm not mistaken, I think you told me that Lincoln Electric has the longest running welding school in the world and i'd love to hear you talk about the history of the program, how it's evolved, and especially in recent years since you've been there
0: absolutely and thanks for having us on today it's It's a pleasure to talk about this and and really talk about the skills gap and what's going on with current technical education and and how we're going to address this thing and you know with our us our journey started in nineteen seventeen in our with our welding school and interesting was if you remember in nineteen seventeen from history, there was a little thing going on called World War one. <laughs> And the U.S. Army needed a way to figure out how can I get and repair equipment that may be damaged during the war efforts, get them back in, and so on. And they basically called on Lincoln Electric and said, can you help us in training our infantrymen or or, or a group of soldiers in welding? We think we can use welding to assist us in the war efforts and everything. And so that's really where we started our welding school. And it was so successful, we just left it running all the way since then. And- We've always been engaged in this notion of welding education because, you know, as we started and started in the welding industry, we needed to educate people on that. We needed to bring that to the forefront and really make it a viable solution for for joining materials. How are you going to build the skyscrapers? How are you going to build the tanks? How are you going to build the ships and the boats? Because we may have been riveting at that time. And so you're transforming that with a new technology of welding. And then as it's evolved, we use our welding school not only to train new welders, but even today it becomes our research and development facility for how are we going to strengthen welding education both domestically and internationally? What new curricula do we need? What new tools do we need? How are we engaged students in the welding booth in the classroom? So it really is one of those dynamic things that as we look at it, it'll continue to evolve, but is core to our mission here at Lincoln Electric.
2: That's cool. What's changed, you know, especially in recent years? I just think of all the technology that's found its way into, I mean, every facet of our, our lives. And then what what happened in the world, you know, over the last sixteen months or so? I'm just curious, what's changed in in, in terms of welding education, if, if anything?
0: Right. I mean, you, you think welding, right? You, you're just welding. What what real technology do you need in welding? But do you think about Industry 4.0 and what we're doing with data, data acquisition, data controls? Computers integrating into welding equipment to where we can control that welding process to the infinite degree. But when you think about education, how do I use virtual assimilation? How do I use these technologies in the welding booth? Because we need to develop that welder faster, and I need to develop more proficiencies in that welder. And interesting, just hot off the press, we did a study with K-State and WSU Tech out in Kansas. And one of the interesting things when we introduced technology like our Vertex simulator into welding education, we not only make a better welder and, and and able to train them faster, but we found that we actually develop a new level of confidence in that individual to where they almost feel like I'm the Superman and Superwoman of welding and, and I'm gonna go out and get the best job I can. And they had such a high placement of those individuals that were in that that study with Vertex, it was very surprising, not to me or others in, that are close to it, but that level of confidence to give that young person, that new person entering the workforce, it was just an incredible thing to see happen.
2: That's really cool. You're, of course, in this welding corner of the manufacturing world, but I've I've talked to a number of people on this podcast over the last few months that are really, you know, hitting this this topic of skilled labor gap from a number of angles, and you know, I had Matt Goosey, who is up in Wisconsin, and he's he's help, helping run an organization called Cardinal Manufacturing, which is a essentially a machine shop running inside the walls of a high school where they've got high school kids, you know, learning to be machinists as part of their school curriculum alongside math and science and. Drew Crow or Andrew Crow on recently as well talking about you know getting young people involved and excited about manufacturing and and as an you know alternative to those who are feel the pressure to go to college when college may not be right for them or people who are working at you know frankly working at McDonald's and uh, there's opportunities to go you know learn how to be a machinist or maybe in your case a welder and I think there's just it's becoming very clear to me that there is a sort of gap in the way that the opportunities in all corners of manufacturing are being communicated to really the next generation. So just kind of curious to hear your take on that, if you agree, if you're seeing kind of the same thing.
0: No, I do. And if you think about manufacturing, like we at Lincoln Electric, our manufacturing center is bright, it's well-lit, it's clean. We use technology during the manufacturing phase, and a lot of people don't realize that. They still have images of the old, dirty, smoky, you know, gringy manufacturing site to where, you know, they're just sweating and just trying to crank out parts. And that's just not really what it looks like anymore today. And the opportunities that are out there, it just is incredible. And, and I tell my kids all the time, if I knew then what I know today, and I was 18, would I be Dr. Scales sitting in this chair? I, I don't know. I really don't know because the opportunities are out there in manufacturing and the and the, and the skilled trades. And I mean, think about being a plumber. The lack of plumbers today is so significant. But, you know, think about what happened over the last 18 months. We have now four academic terms that have been that were disrupted by COVID. So the ability to certify new people to enter in the workforce, you know, when when you had all these people laid off and the hospitality industry went down and now you have all these different incumbent workers and they're, they're, they're trying to get back in the workplace, but they may not have the right skills to get in manufacturing. So it's almost like we have, not only do we have a skills gap, we have a mismatch of skills because the incumbent workforce may have had a different line of work. Now they, they have to shift to get into a, another new line of work, right? And so it's going to be up to us to figure out how do we fast track short-term credentials or get those stackable Credentials, certificates, whatever we need to do to get those people cross trained to get them employable faster. And, you know, that skills gap that we talked about five years ago, and people really couldn't point to it. They couldn't say, This is why this is going on. We think we're not motivating kids to get in it. COVID is a tangible point that we can now point to and say, we, got, we truly have a skills gap. We truly have a challenge in front of us, and we've got to figure out how to get this thing, how to get it solved.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's for all the, it kind of just shed light. It sort of amplified uh, you know, the issue, put light on it, gave you something tangible to, to point to.
0: Right. And, and, but it, it's so pervasive today. We work with a program called Project Manufacturing. It's actually sponsored by the Department of Defense. And the reason they're sponsoring this, it's almost that the lack of skilled workforce is almost a, a national security risk. And so, you know, the Department of Defense is funding this project and and Lincoln Electric and and Haas Manufacturing, CNC are part of this. And we put on these contests all around the United States to try and promote these trades to youth to make it more exciting. Because, you know, who's going to build the ships tomorrow if I don't have welders? Who's going to build the aircraft tomorrow if I don't have welders? Be it a drone or a human flight type aircraft. You know, those things are tangible. And... We need, there's a lot of people interested in this with NAMS, National Association of Manufacturers. We were just on the phone with them yesterday. It's highly interesting in how are we going to get not only today's workforce, but what about the alternative workforce? So what about attracting women into manufacturing and, and really bringing them into the fold of manufacturing? What are we going to do with incarcerated people that were getting rehabilitated that now can be active in the workforce? actually have a meaningful life and get a substance of living and, and not worry about going back to their old ways? How do we look at these different areas of the workforce we may not have looked for in the past, but really get them involved, get them skilled up and make them a part of the solution that's going to bring us forward to, to solve this, this gap that we have of that talent pipeline?
2: Yeah, you bring up a, a really interesting point that you know w- we need to look in different places, right? It's not not the traditional places where maybe we've been looking for labor. I mean, you, you named a few a few of them, and I think that's that mindset shift and thinking creatively about how do we reach different audiences that could be a part of this workforce is going to be really important. Absolutely, I mean,
0: you know, we're engaged all over the board. We're, we're engaged with FFA. We're engaged with Skills USA. We're engaged with many of the job corps around the United States were engaged in many community colleges. But, you know, the American Welding Society says we need 300,000 welders by 2025 to fill this gap that we have, right? Is it really possible for public education to produce 300,000 welders to fill the needs by 2025? I would argue probably not. So where is that extra workforce going to come from? And it's going to come from all of these alternative populations that we need to skill up and train. And and that skilling up and training is going to look different. And I think you're going to start to see manufacturers really teaming up with the education agencies in their region, a community college, a career and tech center, a high school, private, whatever. But, you know, it's not only going to be public education that's a part of this solution. Manufacturers and people that need that workforce are also going to become part of that solution where they may have training in their own institution. They they may take a trained welder take them the rest of the way to make them theirs. They may need a an electrician or a maintenance person that can maintain all types of different equipment, uh, plumbers. I think you're just going to start to see a shift where there's going to be some ownership on the employer side, and there's still going to be that education piece on the other side. And that may be done through apprenticeship programs, workforce development, all these different things. But I think we just got to start thinking outside the box and really looking in different areas and, and trying to find these little solutions.
2: Yeah. Well said. Jason, I've had a number of guests on this show come from the the land of robotics and AI and automation, industry 4.0 from you know all, all different angles. One guest I'm just sort of thinking of right now, this was a recent episode, was Andy Lonsberry. He's the president of a company that's in, based in Columbus, Ohio called Path Robotics. They're a super impressive autonomous welding robotics company. And so his his company's attacking this skills gap from the standpoint of, you know, putting robots into places where traditionally humans have done the work because frankly their customers are finding that they can't find the labor, right? And so I'm just, I'm just kind of curious from your angle like what do you think the future of welding looks like in terms of human versus robot implementation or whatever word I should be using there.
0: Right. I guess it kind of goes back to, you remember when Excel came out? When Microsoft Excel came out, it was a while back, we thought, well, all the accountants are done. Now we have Excel, so accounting's done. Well, accounting didn't go away and Excel didn't expire out the accountants. What happened was Excel became a tool to use, a new skill set was born, and an accountant may look a little different, right? So I don't, I don't think robots or automation is really going to displace workers. I think it may change the landscape of the workforce. I think skills may shift. But if you think about welding, automation makes sense when it's a highly repetitive, multi-piece, I need to do it over and over and over and over again. That, it makes sense. But that may be in the automotive space in, in manufacturing. That may be where I'm building you know, poles to hold down telephone poles and I got to weld on a spiral jig onto this and it's highly repetitive and automation makes a lot of sense but it didn't displace that welder that welder still has to operate that cell the welder still has to do different things and monitor those situations so the skill set changed and you know that myth of that if we if we automate we're displacing workers we're not displacing workers we're shifting the skills needed in the workforce at that time and a lot of these industries like welding you may see robotics or automation come into one sector of it but there are so many industry segments in welding that we're always going to need that skilled welder that can really go in, dial it in, and weld with their hands and make that product and make it happen. That's not going to go away. And so I don't, I don't see that automation is a threat. Actually, I think it's a very good thing, and it's just going to enhance the skills. Or we're we're going to have to kind of mend a little bit. But I, I really find it a positive.
2: Yeah, good take. I think I'm, I'm hearing mostly the same as far as automation is concerned, and. Yeah, it's funny. It's like there's, I think there's a perception among the general public that ro- you know, robots are going to take our jobs. And as, as we all know right now, it's, we, we need somebody to fill the jobs. And if anything, robotics is helping the situation. But yeah, I was, I was kind of just curious to get your take on it. Yeah. You, know, you introduced, when we talked uh, you know, a week or two ago in, in preparation for this conversation, you introduced a really interesting idea, which was the skills draft. And rather than me trying to explain what I think you had in mind there, I'm going to let you put on the Mel Kuyper hat, for, you know, on ESPN and talk about what what's the skills draft, but in the context of manufacturing or, or welding specifically.
0: Yeah, I got to be careful because somebody somebody's going to take me up on this and say we're going to we're going to make this happen, skills. Let's go make it happen. Yeah, well, hopefully they do. <laughs> right, but in essence, you know. We partner with a, a group called National Coalition of Certification Centers, and, and there's other groups that do similar things like this. And NC3 really instituted something called a National Signing Day. So when when high school students go to college and they play sports for college, there's usually a signing day at that high school where the students signing a letter of intent. It's a big celebration. The student gets a you know a scholarship. They're going to go play football, lacrosse, or basketball, and they're going to get financial assistance to go do that at that institution. It's going to help them get a leg up on their education. It's going to be a great thing, right? So that's all wrapped around sports. Well, the concept is, why don't we do that around the skilled trades? So now here's somebody actually signing a letter of intent. Their mom and dad are there. The grandma, or grandpas, their families there. They put a ball cap on them. They take a picture. They have somebody announcing this thing over the internet. It's streaming live. Family members can watch it, and it's so powerful that when a school puts it on, they may think, well, we'll have 75 people show up. I had one school that had to double the diesel program because so many people showed up for that national signing day. It was over 400 individuals showed up for that day. Now, this is being streamed over the internet. Everybody's there. You got speakers. They're calling out their name. Hey, Joe Sullivan just signed that letter of intent. He's going to this community college. He's going to get that degree in computer-aided drafting. He's going to be a champion out there in the field. And by golly, thank you, Joe, for coming today. And they're taking pictures. And, you know, it's a big thing, right? Well, we do that in sports. We have these signing days in sports. We make a big thing out of it. Well, then we have this huge draft at the end of the the school year. We call the NFL draft, the NBA draft, and so on. And we celebrate the top athletes that are going on to professional athletics. and, And they're going to be in the NBA or the NFL. We don't really talk about the dollars they're going to make. We all assume what they're going to make, but we, we celebrate that. And, and, and there's, you know, millions of people watching this on TV. And so all these youth, what they start doing is they start forming these ideas. I'm going to be that NBA player. I'm going to be that NFL player. And they set their sights on that goal, right? Why can't we do the same with skilled trades? Why can't we bring industry together? Why can't we bring these students together and say, we're going to have a skills draft? And here we got all these students, they're going to apply and they're going to interview. They're the best of the best, right? And how awesome would it be that now we're announcing out there the skills draft and here's company A and they're going to pay $30,000 to get the number one draft pick for the welder. They value this person so much, they're going to pay $30,000 for the number one draft pick. All monies go back to the program from which the student comes. And that's how we're going to get people excited about skills. That's how we're going to get people excited about skilled trades. Wouldn't you like to be the family member or the mom and dad that your son or daughter just got picked for the number one draft? I don't care if it's a computer-aided drafting, nursing, occupational therapy, welding, building trades, what it is. But if we really want to excite the public and really bring some momentum to what we can do with getting skilled trades going, we've got to make it exciting. We've got to make it relevant. And we've got to get people to understand that these are true jobs that are very well-paying jobs, they're high-wage, high-skill, and let's reward these people for being the top.
2: And I think it'd be a cool thing to happen. That's one of the coolest ideas I've heard in a long time, honestly. And it's one of my favorite things I've heard somebody talk about on this show. I can't wait to get some more eyeballs on on this, or ears, I should say, I guess on on this concept because I hope somebody does take you up on it. I think it's so cool. I just think about all you know. I'm a creative guy. I come from a the run a marketing agency, I came from a design background before I did this, and I'm thinking of like how you could make a production out of this and make it something really special that would it would be fun it would be meaningful to the the kids to the parents to the organizations there would be so much pride involved in it so love it
0: well I mean we here at this welding school we've never really had a, a graduation for our comprehensive program four years ago I said, look, we need to have a graduation it's a 16-week program, but we need to have a graduation. And you know how much pride that these parents, husbands, wives, kids take for somebody committing to a program, finishing the program, and being recognized for that effort. And you don't realize that, what that really is, until you have a commencement and you and you witness it. I mean, we've all been to high school graduations. We've all been to college graduate, not, maybe not all, but but for for a family member that it could be the first time in the, somebody in their family graduated from something after high school, they're, they're the first generation and they know they're going to go on to success and go get a better job and they're going to make their lives better and they're going to move on. That's a great thing. And if we don't start celebrating this across the board and recognizing this with our people, what's the motivation for them to go do it? It's, yeah, they always have the intrinsic motivation. But man, we can make it a whole lot better if we just did some small things.
2: I think it's so smart. And just for the record, I was teared up when my daughter had her kindergarten graduation about two months ago. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, or that tear in your eye, because you know it's about ready to be over, so you can be 18 tomorrow.
2: <laughs> no kidding, right? Oh man. No, it's such a great concept. I think it's it's so cool. So I love that we're we're putting this idea out there, and I hope it spurs some ideas for, for people who are listening. Right. So Jason, you're in the welding corner of, of manufacturing. Like, what? Speaking more generally, what do you think that manufacturing organizations, whether they're in, whether they're fabricators, whether they're you know machine builders or whatever it is, what do you think that other manufacturing organizations can do in their own niches on the education front? Given what you have learned from your experiences doing this in welding at Lincoln. So I would say
0: advocate nationally and act locally. That's what we need to do. There's programs out there that can really strengthen the career and technical education and education just in general. But it also, we need manufacturers to get and become part of the conversation and part of the solution. If we don't get employers going back to the community colleges, the career centers and the high schools and acting locally saying, look, I will bring your students in and I'll show them what our workforce looks like. I'll give them a little taste of it, or we don't go sit on advisory boards and really challenge those schools in a way that that they can start producing the product that we want to hire. You know, just as a manufacturer produces a product they want to sell to the public, schools produce a product called a student that needs to graduate and become gainfully employed or go on to continuing education, right? So who is guiding that development of that product or that student? And the best cases is going to be the people that are going to hire them, the manufacturers, the industries in that local area that needs to hire them to be more productive, to bring in the technologies that will make that help them double the size of their company, to make the acquisitions they want, to operate at a safer level. And so that's why I always say we need to advocate at a high state or national level, get engaged with that, but then act locally, become part of that solution and become part of that conversation because. For me, if I'm a manufacturer, I say, I can't hire anybody. Nobody wants to come work for me. I hope, Joe, I'd hope you look me right back in the face and say, well, have you walked over to the school and, and, and talked to them? Have you opened your doors and invited those students to come in and see what you do and how cool the things that the, your people get to do every day could change their lives and what they could do with it? And if I tell you no, then, then it's my fault. It's not the school's fault. And so I think the, the conversation goes both ways.
2: Yeah, I agree. Jason, is there anything you want to touch
0: on here that I didn't ask you about? No, I I think when we think about manufacturing, we think about moving forward, we're going to be challenged for many years to come. And we're going to be challenged on finding the right talent. We're going to be challenged on finding the right population that we can hire into manufacturing. And I think those alternative populations that we have out there, we need to get active in that. We need to get and go out there and do that. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty conservative and I really love that 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. job. I really don't, but, you know, a lot, a lot of us work that, right? Or, or we've really punched that clock from eight to five. And I think if we're going to tap into these alternative populations, I think we're going to have to look at our, our work environment and our work schedules. I think that's something else COVID has taught us. You know, if, if, does it really matter if somebody comes in at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m.? I'm, I, I read a story a long time ago, and I can't tell you the manufacturer's name. But, you know, they went out to some mothers and moms and said, why don't you want to come work for me? They said, well, it's pretty important for me to watch my kiddo get on the bus. And it's pretty important for me to watch my kiddo get off the bus. And they said, fine, what if we could fix that? What if we could create a work shift for you that would fix that? And you, we meet your goals and, and we can help increase our productivity fine, let's do it. And actually, they became more productive than the men in the field, and it worked. So, I think, you know, as I'm, I'm pretty conservative and I'm, I'm pretty, I like routine and I like, you know, thinking old school, but I, I really do believe, and, and it challenges me too, is to think alternatively about what does it mean to have a highly engaged, highly skilled, highly productive workforce, and how am I going to meet their needs moving forward? What did COVID teach us from this? And, and what lessons can we take? Not, it's not going to work for every manufacturer it's not going to work for every office area but I do think there's some lessons there and to attract these different populations I
2: think we're going to have to consider that. Oh well, I think you brought up a really great point which is ask the people that you're trying to reach what do they want? Like what what would make this more appealing to them and I think that's a perfect example of of it that you gave one when I was talking I mentioned Drew Crow who was my interviewee recently on this show, and he he was talking about it from the standpoint of what does the young workforce want? And the example he used was, well, they they used to get these these coins. I forget what he how, what he called them. Like when they you know when they complete some task or you know it was like a reward, they did get these coins. And traditionally, it was something that the people really valued it was something they took pride in collecting these coins that were you know physical signs of achievement and. What he learned from talking to to young people, this is more in the machining space, but is that like these things are meaningless to them. Like we need a place to live. We need housing. Like, you know, and, and so his his whole concept was, well, can you offer some some housing to you know people who are the young workforce who is coming in at, you know, lower salaries and or lower pay? And address the thing that they're actually asking for, because that's going to be a lot, a lot more meaningful to them, and it's going to help you, you know, recruit people. So I don't know. I, I think it's just like the the lesson here is, is yeah, being more flexible, listening to what people actually want, what would make the workplace more appealing to them, and sometimes it's it's the simple things, honestly.
0: Well, it's amazing too. I tell schools all the time when they build, they, you know, they talk about remodeling the welding program. We got to do this and. You know, it, our famous saying is just back the dumpster up because we're going to throw half of it out, and then we're going to we're going to start painting the walls, right? And the point is, is that you have to make an environment that students want to be in. You would rat this you want it so good that the student wants to be in that welding program more than they want to be in their own bedroom. And so, if we can create a work environment where people truly want to be engaged at work, then I think there's a lot of things that we can do with that in attracting that workforce into our our manufacturing facilities. And that means painting the walls, putting up brighter lights, making sure they can see, making sure that they have the right tools to do their job, making sure they have the right training. I mean a lot of times it just comes down to training. There's a person comfortable in in doing that, doing that job. And so there's a lot of value in that. And if we're going to attract that next level workforce, I, I think that's where it's at. And and when I talk about engagement, I mean engagement is to me, is just as much the, the person having 100% attendance rate as a person that's begging to go get that promotion and, and going and getting more skills and going to get more education. Right? I'm, I'm perfectly happy that somebody also wants to live their life outside of the system and, and they're doing the job to go live their life. And that's
2: perfectly fine. Absolutely. Well, Jason, awesome conversation here. I really appreciate you doing this today.
0: Absolutely. I enjoyed it. It's near and dear to my heart. I, uh, something we talk about all the time here.
2: Oh, I can tell. I mean, I can, I can sense the passion in your voice and just watching you talk about this. So I think it's really great. You're standing for something that is just so important right now, really more than ever. So love the conversation. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and also where they can learn more about what Lincoln Electric's doing and particularly on the education front?
0: Absolutely. So we can be found at Lincolnelectric.com on the World Wide Web. And then I can be reached at jason underscore scales
2: at LincolnElectric.com. Beautiful. Well, Jason, thanks again. Appreciate your time.
0: Absolutely, Joe. My pleasure to be a part of the podcast. Thank you.
2: Awesome. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive.
1: You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.